All right. Well, yeah, welcome. Um, I'm glad we're back here for a week. You know, retreat was amazing last week. Next week, we're not here. We're at Care Church all together with our sister churches, but um, here today, we're doing our normal deal. So, I am going to wrap up our Ephesians series. That's what we're up to today. Um, Try to, to summarize, I guess, a little bit of just the big gist of the book and really hit the the final passage in chapter 6 with the armor of God. So, um, that's what we're up to. You know, I think it's been a, a fun series. I've really enjoyed getting to hear from everyone that, that preached and brought different messages. And, yeah, I'm looking forward with, with what's to come. But, okay, Ephesians. Uh, if you don't remember, it's a, it's a little, it's a tidy book, six chapters, very clear, you know, front half, back half. Paul's doing a lot of purposeful things as usual. But the main gist is this mystery revealed in Christ that is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This dramatic, you know, unity. Heather really nailed it in the, the communion message just a minute ago that, Almost above all else, our love for one another, our unity, our collaboration together displays that the manifold wisdom of God. But, you know, Paul prays for us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would know God better and that we would know and, and interact with this mystery that he's revealed to us. Uh, that being this merging of, of the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, Finally fulfilling the promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, that when he would bless Israel to bless the nations, it's coming to fruition in Christ and still is today. We are a new humanity if we put on Christ and see people as he sees people and bridge the gaps and tear down the dividing walls of hostility and do things in the name of Jesus. You know, so he just waxes poetic on all that greatness in the first three chapters. And in chapter four, he goes on to practical things. And we get these great instructions about how to live out this new humanity. You know, he, he'll say things like, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, which is Christ himself. The goal being that we would collectively grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. More instructions culminating in a call to imitate Jesus and his sacrifice. And finally, this, this call that all of us would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he leads us through some traditional family relationships in chapter 5. And we get all the way to where I'm going to pick it up today. Uh, towards the the end of of chapter 6, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And so, having said all this, this is like his final, you know, concluding matter about how to take it forward and and how to deal with our our present times. So, let's read it together, and then we'll we'll dive in. So, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, I'm going to read all the way through verse 20. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. What a call. You know, there's a few things that I want to focus on here, like any passage of scripture. You could go a million ways, but I think it's important that we take time to realize there is a battle and that we are at war. I want to define that a little bit because it's very, very different from what likely comes to mind when you hear words like battle and war. So we'll, we'll take a look at what it looks like, where it takes place, and then we'll We'll land the plane with just an acknowledgement and thanksgiving to the great and perfect protection that we have from God in this battle. So, there is a battle. He says it's not against flesh and blood. So the point here is that people are never the enemy. It seems like they are, like a lot of the time, right? Um, and people can certainly, you know, submit to the wrong powers and becomes, become agents of evil. But, but this battle, this fight is ultimately a spiritual one. And it takes place in a spiritual way. And so, even though Paul pretty regularly um, taps into military uh, metaphors and battles and wars, there is zero call for violence here. You see throughout the biblical story, it's, it's quite the opposite, and that human violence is one of you know, evil's main ways to, to get at what God is trying to build and destroy and bring chaos where God's trying to bring order. It is not against flesh and blood, not against people. However mad or upset or however evil and wrong you think someone is, you've got to remember like they aren't the enemy. And that changes the way you will interact with them and react to them. And it changes the way you'll, you'll go about trying to fight this particular battle with any individual or group of people. Who are we fighting? So Paul says it throughout Ephesians, all, starting in, in chapter 1. He mentions it multiple times, but there's just these different sort of lists and And words he uses to describe this. He says it's the devil's schemes against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
flaming arrows of the evil one. Sort of on and on. We get this very broad picture that, that can be hard to, to deal with or define. Um, and really, there, there's a lot of scholars that will take you down all the rabbit trails of, of like mapping this out and, and trying to figure out what these spiritual beings are or look like or how they exist and interact with other things. And Paul himself very likely has like specifics in mind when, when he's laying all this out. For my purposes today, I guess I would just suffice it to say the Bible presents a very populated spiritual realm just from page one through the whole thing with many spiritual beings, some of which, some of which, some of which, um, (laughs) rebelled against God and had their own fall, just like humanity did. And there are agents in these realms that are against God. And seeing as how they are no match for God, he has no rivals, they wage their war against us. And so I don't want to, I don't feel like we have time to really try and dissect the specifics here, but it's important to reckon with and realize the reality of spiritual evil. It brings gravity to the discussion, right? Sin is nothing to to be trifled with. It's nothing to dabble in and just sort of come in and out of and feel you know, something other than drastically against it. Sinful habits and thought patterns can be directly tied to spiritual evil. And if you mess around long enough, you will get swept away. They want to devour you. You know, just to to point out some of where this pops up, because it really is everywhere. Yeah, but when Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, like he's acknowledging there's something to serve in money, something that wants your allegiance. When Jesus took the apostles to Caesarea Philippi in, in Matthew 16, it's a, it's a strange detail, but this is where he told them he was build his church on, on Peter and the gates of Hades would not overcome it. And he absolutely meant that. You know, if you want to chase that specific detail, Caesarea Philippi, is a region that is affiliated with um, the underworld. Basically, in ancient Near Eastern literature, Jewish literature, Greek literature, the, the time of Jesus, it's a region affiliated with the gateway to the underworld, the gods, the other spiritual beings. The Old Testament refers to it often as Bashan, Mount, um, and uh, no, Bashan, and there's this evil giant clan and full of idolatry that Moses and Joshua have to deal with, and it's a problem throughout their history. And Jesus takes the apostles there. Like, this is miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Like, out of their way, he goes there to say, the gates of Hades will not overcome what we're about to establish. Like, this was very real to Jesus, the apostles, the whole of Scripture. You know, it's just a a couple of examples, you know, not even to mention all the encounters with demons that Jesus has and and their, um, you know, activity as he was doing his deal in in the three plus years he was alive. You know, Paul talks about these rulers, authorities, powers, dominions over and over. Peter in his letters, 
these apostles and, and our Lord and Savior breathe this reality of spiritual evil all the time. And so I, I say that because I think as a church, as a Western culture, we can often um, fall into like two extremes on this topic. Like we pretend there is no spiritual evil and we ignore it and we don't talk about it and we just do our deal. We give it maybe some acknowledgement, but know that Christ protects us, and that's completely true, and we just move on. Or, like, we get overly enamored with it and interested in it in a way that that does opposite um, harm. You know, you've probably heard uh, this quote. It's a C.S. Lewis quote from the Screwtape Letters, but uh, I want to read it to you. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. You know, our, our culture has really done a number on us here. And even what I've said here just in the first few minutes of this sermon, I guarantee you have images and thoughts going through your head that are not biblical. And it's more Dante, and it's more Platonism, and whatever else. Our culture has, has filled us with all sorts of, of pictures and ideas about reality. And, and we have to get back to a biblical understanding of what's happening So, I'm trying to find some sort of healthy middle ground by saying simply there is a battle. It is not against flesh and blood, and I want you to take it very seriously, because I think Jesus did and still does. So, what's this battle look like? Where does it take place? First and foremost, it's it's inside you. It starts inside you. Your thought patterns, your motives, where you make your decisions. This is both head and heart language. Your, your inner person, where we pray, where we interact with God, where we perceive His goodness and His greatness, is where evil is crouching at our door. And it desires to have us, right? That's Genesis 4. That's the first mention of sin. That's Cain and Abel. This evil thing is described as a croucher waiting to devour Cain. And God tells him, like, you've got a choice. Sin is crouching. It wants to have you. But if you'll do good, like, you can overcome it. You can subdue it. You know, that initial call in chapter 1 to rule and subdue the earth. And Cain is presented with this decision and this moment of crisis. And obviously he... He makes the wrong one. But, but this is where the battle is taking place. It's in you. It's in those voices in your head. It's in your motives. And you have opportunity to rule and subdue what is trying to come after you. But it is trying to come after you. Romans 12.2, right? We love this one. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've talked about this a lot. Your mind get so much attention, your, your thought patterns. Jesus talks about this all the time, right? It's no accident that Scripture has so much to say about it. So many commands that, like, we are told how to think and what to think about, and we don't take that seriously enough sometimes. 
You know, Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount through a handful of the, the old laws, the Ten Commandments, right? Things like adultery and murder, he puts in a very different but in the, the proper place. You know, he says, you've heard it say, don't murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who, who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That anger that is at the root of us, that starts far before any violent activity, is, is the battlefield. He also says anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Your heart is this battleground, and your thought patterns are where uh, evil wants to take you away from God. Paul talks about it a lot more than just here at the end of Ephesians. Um, you know, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 10, he says a lot of similar things. He says, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Your thoughts require attention and care. And if you're not careful and if you're not taking them captive, um, there are are forces that want to take them in, in very dark places. You know, these strongholds that, that Paul's talking about there. You know, in, in Ephesians 4, he talks about not giving the devil a foothold, right? This was in, you know, just the long list about how to treat people, how to, how to speak to one another. And it says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so, you know, that can seem curious, but, but we all get it. Like, we, we know what's going on there you know somehow retaining your anger dwelling on how someone has mistreated you gives the devil a foothold in your life and that should be fairly scary not in an unfaithful way but in a serious like we mean business way you don't want to give the devil footholds in your life and so you have to pay attention to your, to your motives, to, to this way of thinking. And it is too easy to just slip and start spiraling in any number of ways, just in your own thought patterns. And you wake up and you are just angry at someone. And, and a lot of times you don't even remember why. You don't know what started this. You just know that they have wronged you to the fullest extent. It is their fault and they need to pay for it. And so... We have to unravel that, and we're going to get there. There's lots of ways to do that, to protect against this. This is just one example. You know, also in Ephesians, Paul tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's after your attention, you know, more so probably even than some of these evil attention grabbers. And, and we have this option to give the devil a foothold and grieve the Holy Spirit or to continually be filled by the Spirit. Also in Ephesians, he says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. We have these options before us. And, yeah, whether you realize it or not, we 
um, can also do a thing where we try to pretend like we're in this middle ground and whatever activity is just sort of innocuous and no big deal. So yeah, it's not really helping anything, but yeah, obviously it's not hurting anything either. And we start to push more and more of our lives in just this blanket undefined space. Uh, And we have like some really good spiritual things on Sunday and some obviously sinful things we try to avoid throughout the week. And and this space is where the, the evil one is going to town on us. And if we're not active and engaging the spirit and rewiring our brain and, and taking these thoughts captive, we're going to be head, headed in the wrong direction. It's about, you know, what you choose to let influence you. If we don't resist powers, like we're going to be molded by them. It's, it's our job in this to simply submit to the right power which obviously is, is Christ and His Spirit and His will. You know, the journey He has us on, that He promises to take to completion, this, you know, sanctification, whatever we want to call it, it's an active work and partnership that shouldn't surprise us. He's been out for that from the beginning. He wants to share with us. He wants to relate with us. And so our growth is something that is lifelong, and it's dangerous to take breaks. You will always be influenced by something greater than yourself. Than yourself, You have to choose what to be influenced by. You have to choose what to pay attention to. Choose what to dwell on, what to think about, what to meditate on. Choose what to worship. And understand that a lot of the you know, everyday choices fit in those categories, whether you realize it or not. So this battle is inside us. It's inside all of us. But, like, the ultimate good news here, and where Paul wraps it up, is that we have ultimate protection in Christ. And he starts to go on this armor of God thing. And it's another cool study. Like, if you'll get into your Bibles, this is, the armor of God is all over the place. He's pulling from multiple spots in Isaiah, where God the Father himself is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. Later, where the shoot of Jesse, the messianic king, is wearing this armor. And it's this picture of him giving us his own armor. And that in him, in Christ, as we're being built up into this massive, you know, body slash temple slash, you know, spirit dwelling place, like we're good. God has got you protected, but he invites us to work with him in it. So let, let's talk through some of these things. The belt of truth. So truth is, is certainly under attack today. It, it, it has been from the beginning, right? The devil is a liar. That's how he does his deal. Um, I'm really looking forward to, by the way, just another plug for the combined service next week. Ian Proven, smart scholar, he's going to talk a lot about truth next Sunday and how um, our current culture is just waging war against truth. Um, and so we know, but again, it, it's hard. You know, all these ideologies, all these you know, weapons from very sophisticated plots, you know, they they get in our heads and they start twisting us. But there is a single truth that is Jesus himself. There is one reality that Jesus defines. And 
everything else is, is outside of that truth if it doesn't line up with him. You know, these lies are so powerful and, and can be so heartbreaking. But we, you know, just the, what? The you're not good enough, or they don't like you, or just one more time won't hurt anyone. Like, you, you know the voice in your head. You, you know what it, what it is for you. Um, and another lie is that you're the only one. And we know that's not true. Every single one of us deals with this and has things that like to crouch and wait for us and, and pull us down. And so we've got to live in the light and, and be in, in truth together. You know, um, my sweet daughter, Madison, she's 10 years old. She, she can believe a lie here and there. And it, it can be pretty heartbreaking. Just last night, she called me in. We'd already done the bed, bedtime routine. I'd done my part. I was out. Amy was still in there. She, uh, she comes out, and she's like, Madison needs you again. I was like, okay. Um, but, yeah, Madison was pretty convinced. I was mad at her about this specific you know, conversation we had earlier or something. And, you know, I guess maybe she's mature beyond her years, but she's like, we got to talk about this. And I'm like, you just want to stay up late. Um, but yeah, no, we, we talked about it and it had just weaseled into her mind that like I was upset with her and it was, it was damaging her. Like it was a thing. And so we sorted it out. I wasn't, you know, it's all good. Like it was a great conversation, but that's just a simple example. You know, she'll, uh, you know, bring home an all a report card and think we're going to be disappointed or something. These are easy like 10 year old examples bring it up you do the same thing and we start to think so and so is upset with us or doesn't like us or we hear a shred of a rumor and decide okay i'm done with this group or these people and haven't checked a thing haven't talked to the the source or whoever you're now mad at and we just latch on to these lies and they drive us and, and start moving us to all sorts of ridiculous and wrong-headed decisions because we won't just actively seek truth in, in every one of those moments. And so we have to take care. We put on the, this belt of truth every day, right? It, it's a regular thing. God, keep me in the truth. And um, we got to talk about it together. And we'll get to that in a minute. I uh, actually I have another more lighthearted story on that. Um, I don't think he's in here. I, I told a story about Brandon at the retreat, and it just got me thinking a lot about old stories. But he, there's this great one where he himself would believe a lie, and I want to tell you about it. No. Um, so when we were living together, and we did that for like five or six years before I, I married Amy, but. Um, this was like a regular thing and just one of the most, I just loved it. It was hilarious. But he would, he would want to take a nap, which is cool. Naps are great. And he'd just be like, hey, wake me up at, at this time or whatever. Very like, yeah, of course, I got you. I'm not going anywhere. But I'd go in there to wake him up. And without fail, he would like spring up and start pretending like he wasn't napping. <laughs> and, it, and he'd be like, what? Yeah, no, I'm, 
I'm here. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm like, dude, you, you told me you were going to sleep. You asked me to wake you up. Like, stop pretending you weren't napping. Like, we're, we're here together. And I was like, Brandon, it's okay to nap. You know, he had bought into the lie that he was doing something wrong and, and needed to hide it from me. But no, I just, that was wonderful. This was like on repeat multiple times while we were living together. Um, anyway, let's keep going. The, uh, yeah, Pico was going on about the way, the, the New Horizons song. We've done it a couple weeks in a row. Those lyrics stood out to me today too, right? All my fears and doubts, they can all come too because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. These fears and doubts, they, they'll try to stay. Like they latch on and there are evil forces Agents of some sort of power manipulating you, right? These aren't light-hearted things, and so we have to bring them to Christ. Because when we do that, when we're with Him, they, they get shattered. And, and they can't stay long in, in the presence of God. They can stay if you hunker down and try to do it on your own and just spiral in this mess of, of half-truths and, and lies. But you bring that to your Savior, to your God, and yeah, they can't stay long. We've got to continue to go back to Him. Um, let's keep going. The, the breastplate of righteousness. So this is obviously more the same. Righteousness, simple definition. Right relationship with God, right relationships with people. That's how you walk in righteousness. Um, God's own righteousness protects us in that as well. But if you have a right relationship with God, you're bringing these things to Him. And we've talked about strategies, you know, over and over when, you know, we're, we're tempted or we, we have in mind something that's heading in a sinful direction. Like, what should you do? Instantly take it to God and, and pray. It's like, God, what, what's happening in my mind right now? Like, I just got really angry all of a sudden. Like, help me with this. Or I, um, whatever it is for you. Like, I, you get those I'm not good enough thoughts or your, your stress or anxiety. Like, stuff just spikes. And, and you feel it. You know it. And you've got to take that to God as quickly as possible. You know, the righteousness that is our right relationships with other people. So, this whole thing, remember, the whole book is about this drastic, life-changing unity in the new humanity that knocks down all dividing walls of hostility. We are in this together. Every you in the book of Ephesians is a y'all. It, it's a plural. It is a corporate, like, we do this together. You all have to be up to all these instructions and activities. And so to put on the breastplate of righteousness in many ways is to be in community, to be in fellowship, to talk through the struggles and temptations that we have and take those to God and bring them to each other and get help. Like any one of us, like any one of us can get really weird when we're isolated and, and just believe all sorts of stuff that if we just had a friend next to us to bounce the idea off of, we would recognize ourselves like, wait, what? No, that doesn't make any sense. 
but we, we spend too much time alone. And, and we can cut pieces of our lives into this. Like maybe I'm here every week and I can do this and that, but there's this aspect of my private life that no one knows about. And the same thing can happen there. And so you've got to bring it into the light. You have to share with someone. You have to regularly bring it to God. And in that righteousness, in those behaviors that he calls us to live in, that's when we start to experience the freedom and experience the active protection that can demolish these strongholds, that can take these thoughts captive and and move us closer and closer to Christ. And there is a, a snowball effect, I think, that I've, I've felt in my own life. Like there's been struggles that, um, you know, years long and, and, you know, tiresome and just worrying and, and there's a turning point. At least there has been for me in certain aspects where it finally starts so that my first reaction is a prayer instead of X, Y, or Z. That my first reaction is a text to a friend instead of, you know, wallowing in some muck over here. And then the more you do that, like, you, you're going to be influenced the good way, too. And you're going to build these habits with the Spirit that leads you to um, an easier and better time of overcoming you know, these flaming arrows of the, the devil. So we've got to do it together. That right relationship with God and people will move us forward. These behaviors that he tells us to, to take part in are for your good. And you will reap blessing if you trust him in that. Feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Later on in the same paragraph, he says, be alert and always be praying. Like this readiness, this alertness, it is, um, one, it, it's required, right? There, there's, there's no breaks here, unfortunately, right? We can rest in God, and if we're sab- Sabbathing with him, like, obviously, we, we get rest. But if you get lazy on this, like, the attacks just keep coming. So there's a, an alertness that, again, the whole of the New Testament calls us to, Like, Jesus could come back at any moment. All those parables about readiness and alertness come to mind. We've got to be actively engaged in this battle. And so, when we're not, that's when we we give opportunity for these strongholds and footholds or whatever else to to take root in our lives. Um, You know, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation... It perhaps doesn't get more basic, but more um, necessary. Like, do, do you trust God to help you in whatever struggle you have? Are you dealing with something that you think, um, you know, our church or our pastors or God himself, like, can't handle? Like, we need, to, we need to question that. We need to have faith and trust that where God has put you, he has help for you. And we move our feet and talk to one another and we can, we can get all sorts of the right professional help or, or whatever it is. But you need to trust in the salvation he has for you. You need to have your faith at all times ready to, to trust in God and in his people. And if you'll do that, you know, that trust is what builds the bridge to, to confession, to sharing, to 
opening the, the door on, on some of these strongholds in our lives. The, the sword of the Spirit, we, lots of people like this one. You know, it's the one offensive weapon. We're going to crush it. Um, yes, it is the one offensive weapon, and, and I think there is purpose there. Um, but this isn't like a typical sword, right? Don't, don't move to violence, ever. But move to an active demolishing of those strongholds, an active taking every thought captive. Um, the, the Word of God is living and active. And I think the, the truth that I've found over the years here, the more you dwell on His Word, the more you write it on your heart, the quicker it comes to mind in those moments where you need it. And, and the quicker you're re- reminded uh, of the truth when you're tempted to believe a lie. And so... I think some people can, can find it easier, like I was saying, after years of, of uh, just wading through God's Word because it, it's written on their heart. And not that there won't still be struggles, but when you have Jesus' words and, and the voice of the Spirit actively on your heart through the, the Word of God, you are quick and you are ready. And, and you can cut down those lies instantly and you recognize them for lies right away you know some of this we bring so many like really good honest questions and and i'll hear from people that just you know i heard this the other day and it made me wonder and i'm like that is addressed here and pretty clearly no like did you remember this part of ephesians or whatever it is it's like oh oh yeah okay um, but it, it's insipid, like to things, it's sophisticated attacks from all directions that we'll encounter. And so if you don't have something to bounce that against, one of the most important being this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, uh, you'll struggle and, and you'll be easier to take down in those moments. You know, he concludes, and I should too, um, with... Just this call to pray, right? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. This is, Paul does this a lot, right? This pray continually. He's like, yeah, good idea, Paul. No one does that. Um, but no, like take it seriously. Like everything, you should bounce up to, to God throughout your daily lives. And every conversation, interaction, I'll, re- I'll find myself like, God, what? what should I say here? I have no idea. Um, we have to pray. We have to be in the Spirit always. You know, and he, he takes this uh, to a real personal, personal place at the end. He's like, pray for me too. Like that I would have words be given to me so that I can be fearless even in chains, even in this Roman jail, that I would say what I need to say. And I guess, you know, to me that's encouraging because sometimes we, we read Paul or, or whoever it is and think of something quite unattainable in a way that can get a kind of a give-up attitude growing within us. But Paul was in no way perfect. And he showed tremendous boldness, but he, he was begging for their prayers. Like, I'm here again, and I don't know. Like, I, 
I need power to say what I need to say. I need you to pray for me. And that's true for every one of us in here. Anyone up on this stage, including myself, like, pray for us. We all need to, to be covered, you know, like we like to say, in uh, the prayers of, of the saints, of the faithful people. So, I'm going to wrap up here. We, um, you know, have tremendous and, and perfect protection in Christ. But there is a battle that will be ongoing for, for our lifetimes, whether it's one that ends in our death here or, or Christ coming back. He has not yet finished his deal. And so in the meantime, um, we're at war. You know, he's on our side. Take it seriously and lean on that perfect protection that, that he has in store for you. I'm going to pray for us and uh, then we'll be done. God, please do be with us. Um, I want to thank you for your word, for the Bible, for this book of Ephesians and just all the, the great things that, that we can learn from it, but most importantly, the, the relationship with you that, that it brings us towards. Um, I pray that you would be active in each of us and that your spirit would continue to, to fill us with, with the things we need, God, with the things that will protect us from um, evil spiritual forces, God. Um, move us forward together. Bring us the unity and that new humanity that, that you're calling us to, God. May we um, never divide over silly things and find a perfect peace in you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.